2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 18, finishing off uh, this section. Next week, your reading assignment is chapter 5, so you can get a jump start on what we're going to be looking at next week by reading ahead in chapter 5. But now, right off the bat, let me ask you this question. How many of you here uh, today like treasure, or maybe even like hunting for treasure? You know, every now and again, you'll go down to the beach and you'll see those guys with their metal detectors, you know, going like this and they have a headset on and then all of a sudden their, their detector, it goes off, it starts beeping or whatever and you see these guys, they light up like wondering, could this be the mother load or whatever it might be, uh, you know, searching for treasure. Uh, some people have said that one man's trash is another man's treasure, but I have to admit for me, um, I am a pushover for a deal. I don't know about you. Uh, if something is just like an incredible deal, my eyes light up like a Christmas tree. Like I'm one of the, oh, this is such a great deal. And Ruth makes fun of me actually a lot about this because I'll come and I'll tell her, I say, honey, I feel, you're never going to believe this. It's like 75% off. This is insane. The only problem is it's like $2,000 to begin with. And when Paul states, and what we're going to read here uh, in just a moment he is referring to us, we the church, those that have faith in Jesus, we have a treasure. And when he says this, he is referring to the treasure. It is the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, you find Jesus and you find a treasure trove of God's blessings and promises that are never ending. We have the message of the gospel empowered by the God who said in the beginning, let there be light. And there was light. This morning I have two points for you. And point number one is we'll be starting off in verse 7 today. Is this, a vessel of honor. A vessel of honor. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes and says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So Paul likens our bodies to clay pots, earthen vessels. It's interesting that God did not choose to put His power into fine china, but rather ordinary, everyday dishes. You and me. Often people have thought that it's what's on the outside that makes the inside special. It's what it looks like on the outside that really determines the value of what's on the inside. But it's really that which is on the inside that makes the outside special. Because you can have a beautiful looking object, but it could be filled with the most disgusting things imaginable. I think today, and I think we have for some time, and I think you would agree with me as well, that we have put too much stock into outward appearance. And we ignore what's on the inside. We'll, we'll shine up our veneer. We'll present ourselves in a certain way. But we've ignored the most important thing, which is who we are on the inside. And see, when it comes to the work of the Lord being accomplished, it is all about what's on the inside. Period. Back when the prophet Samuel was sent by the Lord to find a replacement for King Saul, a new king for the king of Israel, he came to a family of brothers. 
And the Lord spoke to Samuel, and he said this as Samuel looked at this one man. He's like, man, that guy's tall and he's well built. He looks like a, a great king. He's very kingly. I can see it. But the Lord told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, he said, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. At the heart. So when Paul says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels and clay pots. There's nothing fancy about them. It's, there's nothing extravagant about them. Because it's what's on inside that matters. And he says exactly that here at the end of verse 7, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Right off the bat, you might ask yourself this question, why must the excellence of the power be of God and not of us? I mean, our whole lifetime has been all about what we bring to the table. I went to school and then went to grad school to acquire a certain skill set in order to make myself marketable to different firms. It's always been about what I have to offer. My skill set. My work ethic. My unique gifting. See, when you've emptied yourself of self-reliance and you can say like Paul did, and we read this, I think it was last week, but verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 3 he says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And you will see in your own life the power of God supersede anything you could have ever done. You cannot even get close. We cannot even get close to the power of God working in us. You won't be able to hold a candle to it. See, we are flesh. We are made of the same elements that the dirt is comprised of. We are earthen vessels that are honored with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Gospel at work in our lives and through our lives. Like We need to understand that the glory, the power, the excellence is of God and not of us. And so I had to ask myself this question, why does God put such great treasure in such weak vessels? Why? And the answer is so that the power of God may be the power at work and the glory that is received will be received only by the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. I don't know about you, but for me as a follower of Jesus, I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be something, someone that is useful to the Lord. And see, when we put our faith in Jesus, you will find that the Lord does cleanse you from all that is dishonorable. He purifies you. He washes us. That's why 1 John 1.9 says if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The psalmist said in, one, in Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. So we go from being a vessel of dishonor to being honored with the treasure of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We realize 
how true it is that it's the power of God at work and not our own. We're dust. We were created from it. And we die, we are assimilated back into it. Yet from the earth, God has created each of us for a special purpose. Now, no one has ever said that following the Lord in this world was going to be easy. I can tell you from my own personal perspective that it's not easy being involved in ministry. If you're involved in some capacity in ministry, it's not easy for you. See, the world and the darkness therein is closing in all around us. I have to be very, very careful about how much I focus on the evil that's in this world instead of focusing upon the Lord. Because I'm grieved when I read certain things. I'm grieved when I see certain things. I am grieved by the things that, you know, even in the state of California that have been now written into, you know, our legislature and been made laws. You know, I, I'm grieved when I see these things that are a front to God and that are just a, de- a depiction of the, the debauchery of our society. And I get overwhelmed at times by those things and I start getting down and I start feeling discouraged. And I'm like, Lord, this is so evil and it's so wrong but that I'm reminded that I need to keep my focus upon the Lord. Because in this life, we will have tribulations and we will feel like we're at the end of our rope. We feel like we just can't take the pressure and, and stress any longer. I mean, we get exhausted from dealing with the problems that we've been facing. And we finally get to the point where we've come to the conclusion that we're just not able to handle this. I was not able. I'm not able to handle this any longer. I, I'm, I'm, I can't do it. And right there, there, right at that exact moment, there it is, the divine revelation of your weakness, of your nature. The weakness of your physical body with its mental and emotional capacities. You realize, I can't do it. I can't do it. And if you've come to that place in your life, you have to have asked yourself, well, where do I go from this point? What do I do from this place where I've realized that I am weak in and of myself? I'm an earthen vessel. I'm a clay pot. I don't know what I have to offer. I have tried in my strength. I've tried in my own resourcefulness to be able to take care of these things, but I cannot do it. Maybe you can relate to what Paul is going to continue on in verse 8. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Today, you may feel the weight of the world upon your shoulders. You may feel the gravity of your situation. Maybe you're losing your appetite. You're losing sleep. You're hard-pressed. Please, listen to me. You need to realize today that you, if you're listening to this and you can hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, you're still alive. You're still breathing. You're not crushed. See, when we, when we are hard-pressed, we start sweating. We start sweating. We start to feel the pressure like, Man, it's getting hot in here. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm getting stressed out. You know, I feel overwhelmed. 
You know, we start sweating these things out and the things that are being sweat out of our lives are actually the very things that need to go. You may feel hard-pressed, but you need to know today you will not be crushed by whatever it is that you're facing right now. You might be perplexed. Paul says we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Now, have any of you ever felt perplexed? I just don't know what to do. I have no idea what the right decision is in this situation. I just don't know what to do. Often, life is very perplexing. You know, we find ourselves void of maybe the resources that we need uh, you know, to make a, a decision. Or maybe we're embarrassed or we're, we're doubting. Maybe we need, we need to make a decision and just quite frankly, we just don't know what to do and it doesn't matter what may happen. We just don't know what to do. I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes the Lord doesn't give us everything we need to know way in advance. We don't get to master plan out everything in our lives. Some of us wish that our lives were like the city of Irvine. Cookie cutter. Every little thing. Master plan out. No, I'm sorry, that tree goes over here. Or whatever it might be. And we wish that we could do that with our own lives. And we don't get to do that. Usually, when we don't know the answer to something or we have no idea what we're going to do, we despair. I'm not talking about like, do I order a number one or a number two today? I'm talking about real life situations where you're like, I don't know what to do and I need to know. We begin to worry and be consumed with all the you know, practical things that we need to take care of. You know, I have often sat down and have said to myself, I, I, and I remember driving, it was just a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, and I was driving and there was this situation and I literally had no idea what to do. And I said that to the Lord. I was just praying as I was driving. I said, Lord, I have no idea what to do or how I can help. I don't even know. The, 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 two, like the two options aren't even... I, I have no idea, Lord. And that phrase... Is typically followed up by a prayer to the Lord. Lord, please help me and give me wisdom. Because I don't know what to do. Yet I have found that God always comes through. And it's during those times that are pressing and perplexing that the Lord shows Himself excellently. And we excellently display the limits of our power. I know that with the Lord, I am not at an utter loss, nor am I destitute of the measures and resources that are so beyond me because I serve a God that is so beyond me. And I know that I'm not to renounce hope, but to wait and to see what the Lord will do. And so, I wonder what the Lord's going to do in your situation. I wonder what the Lord is going to do this time with what you're facing. In verse 9, he says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Now listen, Paul was a wanted man. He was a wanted man. In every negative sense of that word, wanted. He had men take vows that they would not eat until they had killed him. Paul had been run out of towns. He'd been stoned to death. He had been persecuted severely. He was a wanted man. And though he has had friends and no doubt family members leave him because of his faith in Jesus, Paul knew that he was not helpless 
or abandoned. Listen to what Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one that goes with you who will not leave you nor forsake you. He is with you today. Paul said again in verse 9, struck down but not destroyed. Now, there are people that we come into contact with and there are also situations that we'll find ourselves in that knock us down a peg or two. We've been cast down to the ground. We took a big hit and now we're laying face first on the floor. You know, our pride may have been hurt or maybe we're just getting majorly hit by spiritual attacks. Things just coming and pounding us, pounding us. Maybe we had this great experience with the Lord and now we have found ourselves fallen from the mountaintop experience and we're in the valley of shadow of death now. And that's where we found ourselves this morning. But even if that is the case, you know that it's the same Lord that leads you and guides you and you will fear no evil for the Lord is with you. Listen, we may be struck down, but it's going to take a whole lot more than that to take us out. We will rise again. And we will not be destroyed by this. See, you may be down, but you're not out. You will not be rendered useless, and this will not be the thing that ends you. Let me say that again. That if you're following Jesus, and you're going through a difficult time, you will not be ended by this. This will not be the thing that ends you, and then I present to you, what is this in your life? What's very interesting about being a vessel of honor is that the Lord will often use such things as being hard-pressed, being perplexed, being persecuted, and being struck down as the very crucible to forge us into the man or the woman that He has created us to be. We have to be hard-pressed in order to not be crushed. We have to face perplexities in order to find ourselves not in despair. We have to face persecution to understand that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. And we are even struck down to understand that that won't destroy me either. Because the Lord is with me. And all of these things, being hard-pressed, being perplexed, being persecuted, being struck down, serve to strengthen us and make us more powerful in the Lord. Romans 8.37, Paul wrote and said, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And this leads us to our second and our final point today. Point number one was a vessel of honor. And point number two, I've entitled a vessel of power. In verse 10, Paul says, always caring. He is always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You know the verse. Paul said that he'd been crucified with Christ. This was Paul's reality. He would reckon his old nature to be dead as if it were crucified with Jesus on the cross. And that death to self often came for Paul in the form of being hard-pressed, being perplexed, being persecuted or struck down for his faith in Jesus. 
Maybe you've read this and you've wondered, what does the dying of the Lord Jesus mean in my body or in my life? Well, what did the death of Jesus mean for us? Well, it meant the separation that was between us and God was removed. It meant that our sins were forgiven. It meant that we would receive the Comforter, whom we know as the Holy Spirit. It meant that we would have direct access to the God of the universe, the God who is Creator. And so we have fellowship with the Lord, communion with Him. We're made righteous. We are forgiven and we are empowered by the Lord. And we have fellowship with the Lord. But we also have fellowship associated with the sufferings of Jesus. That because of Jesus and who He is and what He stands for and because of our connection to Him, we have specific persecutions that we have fellowship with the Lord in. But even more than that, Jesus' example of death to self, you know, not my will, but thy will, is what we need to be following. Submitting to the will of the Father, because through faith in Jesus, death to self means life to self. In Luke 9.24, Jesus told those His disciples and those that were gathered around, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The sufferings that Jesus went through are also the sufferings that we go through because of our relationship with Him. And even as there were those trying to put Jesus to death, so too today there are still those trying to put to death the ministry of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet, through our trials and through our sufferings, we see the life and power of Jesus triumphing even as He triumphed. The resurrection! And the life that takes place in the life of the believer going through a situation that requires dying to oneself that something great may come from it. And we die to self. And we carry these things that are difficult and they're trying and they're pressing and they're perplexing and they're afflicting. And we die to self at the, as the life of Jesus starts to shine through us. Always carrying about in the body, verse 10, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. It is during our times that we feel as if we are dying that the life of Jesus inside of us shines brighter and more powerful than ever. Oh, this is difficult. Oh, this is painful. Don't you understand that when we're in fellowship with Jesus and you go through these things that cause you sorrow and you're weeping and you feel pain and you're afflicted and you're going through these difficulties and it's the death to self that it's the life of Jesus that starts shining brighter than ever before. And it's in that tr transition, really. I would call it a transitional phase between the loss of our power and the acquisition of the power of the Holy Spirit that we recognize, again in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I've experienced this time and time again in my own personal life and in my family's life. Paul's reality, really, which is different from ours living here in the USA, was 
that his relationship with Jesus and because of the boldness by which the gospel was proclaimed meant that at any time his ticket could get punched. Did he die for his faith? Yet, even in the most trying of circumstances, in the areas with the highest mortality rate, the place where everything he did meant death, the life of Jesus was manifested in him and through his body. Because Jesus rose from the dead, that power that raised Jesus from the dead was at work in Paul. It's in work, at work in you. And even in the place of death, the life of Jesus can never be shut down. And so he says in verse 12, so death is working in us, but life in you. Let me explain what he's saying here. I think sometimes we mistakenly think that pastors in the ministry are those that never have problems or personal difficulties. This can be due, I think, to the fact that most pastors will do their best to ignore their own problems in order to help minister to others with theirs. I've seen it with my own pastor and I've known other guys that do the same. I remember John Corson saying this one time, that those whom the Lord has allowed to be hurt deeply, He uses greatly. And the pain that was experienced by Paul was the very thing that would enable him to minister to others in the powerful way that he did. It was this death to self and death working in Him that brought life, the life of Christ, to the forefront of their lives as they were dying to themselves and as they were experiencing these hardships. And even today, as you're dying to yourself and experiencing these difficulties and you're shriveling back because you find that you're just not capable, the power that you have is diminishing. And there, the transitional phase, as I called it, where you're power is diminished and the power of the Holy Spirit is now at work and your flesh is dying and the life of Christ is living. This is the very thing that brought the life of Christ to the forefront in Paul's life and in his ministry to the Corinthians. They saw it. And the same goes for you and for me. It's through our sufferings. The times of being Yes, hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. That our ability to minister to others, the Gospel grows exceedingly. You have been hurt deeply. The Lord is going to use you greatly. There's something that changes in the life of a Christian who has gone through difficulties and realized that the excellence of the power must be of God and not of ourselves. We will often find ourselves experiencing that death to self situation. It's at that point that we gain a little more of Christ at work and lose a little more of us. It's almost as if, you know, when Paul says we see dimly, it's not fully clear yet, you know, what the Lord is doing. And it's almost through difficulties and this refiner's fire that the Lord will scrape away the parts of us that need to go. And what starts to happen is you start to see more of Jesus as we remove the filth of the flesh. It's Jesus starts to shine through more. We go through these difficulties and these trials and these problems and these things where, man, we are at the end. And it's at those times that we realize, man, I'm not, I, I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair because I know what's happening here. 
less of us and more of him. Lord, may we decrease. Lord, may you increase. Paul now writes in verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, listen to this, guys. I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. This is such a powerful verse. Speaking before believing or even experiencing causes our testimony to dwindle in its power. Many people can say, you know, that they believe something, but it will be, become evident very, very quickly if that is truth or not when they go through trials. I believe. Well, we'll see. Paul said that he believed and therefore spoke. I have to tell you that there is such a powerful testimony when you believe the things that you are speaking. You believe first, then you speak. There is a powerful testimony to the faithfulness of God in life because we've experienced the goodness of God firsthand. Paul says, I believe it and I speak. I experienced it and I speak. How am I going to be able to communicate the truth of the Gospel or the power of God if I have never experienced it myself? Paul says it was death for him, but it was life for them. The things that I go through personally in my life and that the Lord ministers to me through is the very thing that enables me to be able to open God's Word and to proclaim it boldly and tell you that I believe and therefore I speak. Because God is faithful. In verse 14, he says, knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul knew without a shadow of a doubt that though they perished, the same one that raised the Lord Jesus would also raise them up and the Corinthian Christians along with them. Your faith is contagious to those around you. Our faith is contagious. By faith, you know, faith means you believe, and if you believe, there'll be power behind what you speak. Power. Power of Jesus. Excellence of the power of God. He says, For all things are for your sakes, verse 15, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So Paul not only reaffirms his love for the church, but reminds them of his desire for the grace of God to spread among them in such a way that they're filled with thanksgiving to the Lord. We're thankful. Lord, we need Your grace. Lord, we need Your mercy. And Lord, I know what it feels like to be hard-pressed, to be perplexed, to be persecuted, to be struck down. Lord, I know that the things that I'm going through, You're going to sustain me. And Paul says here in verse 16, he says, therefore, do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, 
Paul said already, we we looked at this in our last study, he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. This is the second time in chapter 4 that we read that phrase, do not lose heart. In verse 1, it was because of the mercy of the Lord. Here in verse 16, it's the realization of the power connected with the spiritual man being renewed every single day. Our bodies may be getting older and more broken down by the day, but our spiritual man is being renewed each day. And because of this, my connection to the Holy Spirit working in me, I realize that nothing can stop me from fulfilling the work of the Lord. I refuse to lose heart because of my emotions or my thoughts or my bodily aches. And if that wasn't enough, and I think we could say, hey, amen, that's a great passage. If that was not enough already, look at the next verse. In verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, there are a lot of different things that may have popped out to you as you just read verse 17, but i like you to read it with the understanding that our afflictions are working for us. Our afflictions, your afflictions, are working for you. Now, in the business world, you know how it is. You get to the point where you need to hire someone because you know you were a startup, you were the, the solo mio, you were the guy that was doing all the work, wearing all the hats, and all of a sudden the workload just became too much for one person to do. You need to bring someone on to help you, to work for you. You know, we invest our money in, in stocks or you know these funds or whatever our investments, we invest our money so that our money works for us. Paul writes that our afflictions work for us. Our afflictions work for us. But not only that, he says they're, that they're light afflictions. Light afflictions meaning you know, light and weight, or they're quick, or they're agile, they move, they come and they go. See, this light affliction is to be contrasted with what he says at the end of verse 17. See, a light affliction is working towards a heavy weight of glory. The afflictions that we experience in life are light compared to the glory after life and are quickly over compared to eternity. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, In some translations in the original Greek language, it would even say, but for the moment, are working for us. These afflictions are actually working for us and will bring about an eternal weight of glory. And he says in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to know today, I want you to listen to this right now, what I'm about to say. The problems that you face, that you can see with your eyes and experience in your life according to the Scriptures are temporary. If you can see it, it doesn't last. You can see it. You can feel it. And you're experiencing it right now. It doesn't last forever. 
It's temporary. It's the things that you can't see right now. The things that the Lord is is working out and having you work through that are producing something that is eternal. These are the very things that are making you into not only a vessel of honor, but a vessel that is strong and ready to fulfill the Master's plans. Because, listen, there are moments in life where the Lord allows afflictions to help work out the plans of the Lord in our spiritual lives. We cry out to God. We ask God why. And we're broken. And we're hurting. We're afflicted. And we're perplexed. And we're struck down. But when I'm prone to lean on my own understanding of what I can see and comprehend, I must, we must, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to help us be reminded that if I can't see it, it's going to last. If I can see it, it's temporary. If I can see it, it doesn't last. See, the Lord's working out something in my life that will last for eternity. That's where my focus must be. The Lord's working out something in your life that's going to last for eternity. That's where your focus must be. And I think unanimously we could just close right now and say, Lord, please help us. Please help us. If I can see it, it doesn't last. I can't see it. Oftentimes, those, those things that the Lord is doing through these diff- difficult circumstances and these trials and whatever it may be, but that's going to lead to an eternal weight of glory. My light affliction is but for a moment. It's not going to last. Focus on the Lord. Stay connected to Him. When you start to see yourself slip into the emotional realm, start getting inside your head or whatever it might be, you need to be reminded of who God is. He is with you. He'll never leave you. and He'll never forsake you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for this day. Because this is the day that You have set aside, Lord, for us to be able to study these things. And Lord, I know that we need it as a church to hear this. I know... Lord, that I needed this. I say thank You, Lord. And I pray that we would be as Paul and say, I believe, therefore I speak. Lord, that You would give us all a powerful testimony of Your faithfulness. Lord, help us to not rely upon the things that we can see because, Lord, the things we see don't last. Pray, Lord, for any that may be struggling, any that may be hurting, any that may be despairing. Lord, that today You would raise them up and may they know it's going to take a lot more than that to take them out. So, Father, forgive us of our sins. Fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit. If we have any unconfessed sin in our lives, Lord, may we confess it knowing that You'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we be vessels of honor. Lord, have mercy upon us as we walk through these things that are actually going to strengthen us 
that are going to facilitate the work, Lord, that you are doing in us and through us. And Lord, even today, this Sunday, as it's the first Sunday of the month and we observe communion, Lord, and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, we just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we have a high priest in Jesus, a mediator, a one that was tempted in all points that we're tempted and yet was without sin. Lord, who completely understands every single individual situation in life. But not only does the Lord Jesus, Lord, not only do you bring understanding, you bring the power and the wisdom and everything else that is needed in our time of need. Thank you, Lord. We ask that you would bless us now.